welcome to the worship service at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Hayward, California, a multicultural church in the San Francisco East Bay that worships on the Seventh-day Sabbath, Saturday. The ministry of the word by Pastor Paul Penno is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to forgive sin and save from sin by his cross and ministry as priest in the heavenly sanctuary the third angel's message in verity. Join us now as the service is in progress. On Wednesday evening, we found out who our neighbors were all up and down this street. What a delightful surprise to see the social hall filled with our neighbors and their children. And... uh, must have been a revelation from the Lord given to our dear people on how to have that happen because usually we go out and knock on the doors and it's hard to even find them in their home, but they all came to us. There were tens, I don't know, maybe a hundred children, and I was told that uh, many were turned away because there weren't enough for everybody. But um, you remember on Thanksgiving, the social committee sponsored... A, a Thanksgiving dinner, and a number of people came from the community, but they were told, now, if you'll in, you know, invite people to come just before Christmas, we'll give each child a gift. And you know something? They went out and they told their aunts and their uncles and all their family, you know, and that's what caused this big overflow of turnout on Wednesday night, so that all those gifts that were brought as a result of the envelopes on the tree, which you brought, you know, and there were some gifts, I understand it came from the fire department, there were some gifts that were brought in from the Salvation Army, um, and they thought, well, boy, this is going to handle all the crowd. Well, there wasn't enough gifts for everybody. And so, I mean, this is now known as the church where you can come for a Christmas gift, you know, and next year, if the Lord impresses upon our people to do that, We need to have more gifts for everybody that shows up, don't we? All right. So that puts a new face on this church for our community, and we just praise the Lord for that. And uh, I don't know how many of them spoke English, but Gabriel was certainly rattling off a lot of Spanish to them and doing a really good job, (laughs) and we thank you for that. You know, when heaven was looking for some place, who, some place that was prepared to welcome the birth of Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, there was no one among the priests or the rulers that had to have, seemed to have any bit of interest whatsoever. And so far as they were concerned, if the Messiah would never come, they would be content so long as the economy was running well and The Roman Emperor Augustus was just keeping the peace, and so they could care less whether the Messiah would come. And when Joseph and Mary were in the manger in Bethlehem and Jesus was born, the angel almost had to go back to heaven with the very shameful news that there was no human being who even cared that God has sent his son as a baby. Wouldn't that be tragic if the angel had to go back and report that there was nobody who even cared? It's true that human beings are sinful and they're selfish, they're alienated from God, but there's always been some hearts that have uh, 
been in tune with heaven, and it's true today. There are always some hearts that realize the visitation of the Messiah. Well, it was back then that the angel found the poor shepherds, and they were camping out in the fields by night. And as far as I understand it, you know, I don't think any old people would be camping out in the middle of the night. It had to be young people that were out there, those shepherds. And they were talking together. They were communing in starlight converse, conversation. And that conversation was that they were looking and remembering the verses of the Bible regarding the promised Messiah. Young people thinking about the Messiah and studying the prophecies. Isn't that encouraging? They were anticipating the promised one. And they were out there in a prayer meeting. Lord, please send him. Lord, please send our Messiah. And when the angel saw that young people prayer meeting in this study group, the angel was so happy, so happy, that he said in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And that must have cheered their hearts. He could not contain his pent-up joy, but he told them that the Savior of the world was to be born in Bethlehem, and they should go. They should see him for themselves. They would be welcome if they went. And so they said to each other, let's go. We want to see this great sight of the Messiah, the fulfillment of the prophecies. And so they didn't walk. They ran to the town of Bethlehem, and they found Jesus, the world's Savior, and he was lying there in a donkey's feed box. And what good tidings could bring so much joy to all people? What good tidings? What good news? Well, the, under, the angels understood what the good news was, and the lone angel was joined by a multitude of the heavenly host. And they were singing in Luke 2, verse 14, these words, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, what? Peace, goodwill toward men. Ah, the long-looked-for day had really come. The promise was to be fulfilled. The innocent Lamb of God was to be slain. And there he was. He was already lying there as a helpless babe in the manger of Bethlehem. Now you ask yourself, what could be more helpless, weaker than a little babe? Made still more helpless, they're bound up in swaddling clothes. What could be more helpless? Jesus Christ, imagine, born as a helpless infant wrapped in the swaddling clothes in which even a man would be helpless and laid in a manger. He was a perfect picture of helplessness and weakness. That's our Savior. Nothing on earth has less wisdom than a babe. Nothing on earth has less wisdom than a baby. And a newborn baby presents the most perfect picture of helplessness that can be found 
No other creature is so utterly helpless as a human baby. And even so it was with the babe that was born in the manger in Bethlehem. And yet, Paul says, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And we're told that that is a sign to us. Of what is it a sign? It is a sign that the strength of God is made perfect in weakness. The power and the strength of God is made perfect in weakness. Glory to God in the highest, sung the angels, and that song just echoed in the hearts of those young shepherds, for was not that the best news that could ever have come to a fallen world? Man was to be redeemed from the power of Satan and from his cords of sin. This little babe was that savior, that power of the gospel. Do you wonder that the shepherds left their sheep and they went with haste into Bethlehem? We read that they stopped not until they had found Mary and Joseph and they had seen with their own eyes their savior, the creator of heaven and earth, lying there in a manger. And they returned glorifying and praising God and telling everyone they saw of the glad, glad news which the angel brought. Jesus was sent on a specific mission by his Father to bring peace on earth. Aren't you glad for that? And his peace, the angel's son, was to all people. The peace is God's peace to all people. And you know, it is God who is declaring the peace to his enemies. You think about that. If you've ever felt alienated from God, God is declaring the peace to your heart, dear soul, to all on earth. Paul writes this. If you have your Bibles in Romans chapter 5 and verse 10, Romans chapter 5 and verse 10, Paul says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You know, God has reconciled his enemies by the death of his Son. He has given the atonement, a gift, to every man, woman, and child on earth. The, you know, the word atonement in its strictest sense of the word, that means to be in harmony with God. Well, that's peace, isn't it? To be in harmony with God. Uh, he has given this atonement to every man, woman, and child. 2 Corinthians 5.19 puts it this way. God was in Christ reconciling, how many? The, the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. Well, because of Christ, who is the world's legal substitute, God is not charging the sins against you. He's not charging the sins against the world. 
He's reconciled the world unto himself. God gives the reconciliation. He gives the atonement. To who? To the world. This is the peace that the angels spoke about. Amen? Now, Wesley, John Wesley, was, bless his heart, he was a wonderful Christian gentleman. In England, he saw the terrible conditions of the workers of that day and the low spiritual condition, and he sought to make Christianity understandable to the people of his time, and he spoke of the prevenient grace of God by which he meant that God has a favorable disposition towards sinners in offering them forgiveness and salvation if they believe. In other words, salvation is not effective until you believe, making faith a human work, initiating the process of salvation. You have to have faith. You have to have that work of faith in order to initiate the process of salvation. However, the good news, the good tidings is that God forgives us, his enemies, before we ask him. This is his love in Christ's death on our behalf. You see, Jesus died the equivalent of the second death for the joy of knowing that the whole world would not have to face eternal death because he effectively gives all the gift of eternal life. And the proof of this life is that we live today. Are you living and breathing right now? then you are doing so by virtue of the cross of Jesus. Even those poor sinners out there who are going up and down the freeway there and they don't even know that this is the Sabbath day, God is giving them life and breath, isn't he? And much of enjoyment in life, and it's by virtue of the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, we as sinners, we deserve one thing which we have earned. You know, the one thing that we have earned is the grave. That's all that we deserve. But God doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us a life that is filled with blessings, of food, of family, a secure place to live, and reasonable goodwill from society and protection from the evil powers, which if God removed his protecting hand, you know, Satan and his evil ones, they would just wipe us away. So God's forgiveness is so much more effective before we believe than John Wesley ever imagined with his idea of prevenient grace. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. Sinners should be dead, but we aren't. Why? Because Christ has given us a legal justification of life which protects us from Satan's execution of our death sentence. We should be so happy. What a marvelous gift of love. It says in this in Romans 5.18. Look at it carefully with me in Romans 5, verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. And, of course, that offense of Adam... All that we've inherited from him is nothing but sin, condemnation, and death. But it goes on. Even so, by the righteousness of one, 
The free gift came upon how many? All men unto justification of life. And this life that we're talking about is this very thing. Justification of life. If the free gift were given only to the class who believe in Jesus, then it wouldn't be a free gift. God's favor would be discriminatory toward only those who believe. If justification of life is a free gift, then to be non-discriminatory, it must be given, as the text says, to all men. Amen. This is the legal gift he has given to all. Justification of life is an effective gift for all without qualification. Hence, it is the agape of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Can you appreciate that? Legal justification creates faith in the sinner's heart, which it is his to exercise or to hinder it. This great gift, seeing it and appreciating it, of God's love creates faith in you and delivers you from bondage so that you may choose to exercise that gift of love and faith. To make no choice is to frustrate the grace of God. However, appreciating his love involves the crucifixion of self with Christ and an ever-growing and deepening lifelong repentance. You know, the Christian lives and he breathes by the ongoing principle of the cross of Jesus Christ. This is how we are sustained, moment by moment. We call this sanctification is a life of a lifetime, a deepening appreciation of the cross of Christ by which we live. And when we see this gift of love, it melts our sin-hardened hearts, and then we experience the atonement. Our hearts are one to God. We're no longer alienated. We're no longer His enemies. We appreciate His love, and our hearts are one and joined with His. That's the experience of the atonement. That is true faith. God's love creates faith, which is ours to exercise by the power of choice. And if we do not resist His love, we will be drawn all the way, day by day, moment by moment, into a deepening experience of repentance and crucifixion of self with Christ. And there is no end of faith which works by love in obedience to all of God's commandments. No end of it, because the soul experiences the atonement with God. And now I'd like for you to look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. It says, There is therefore no condemnation to those who walk in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That individual is experiencing the peace of God. You know, forgiveness is not an arbitrary thing that is imparted by the Lord. The uh, simple faith in the goodness and the kindness of the Lord who has given himself for the sins of the whole world. There were those who sat at table with the Lord and they were murmuring because he said to a woman, Thy sins are forgiven. 
And they were saying within themselves, Who is this that even forgiveth sins? And Jesus said again to the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. The life of love that forgives has been freely poured out so that it envelops the whole world and every sinner has his destiny in his own hands. If he believes in the free gift and accepts it, he's saved. His faith saves him. If he does not believe or does not appreciate the gift because he does not feel that he stands in need of it, his sin necessarily remains upon him. And God is clear of all responsibility for the destruction which must inevitably follow. Jesus said to the woman who was a sinner but who had no bodily ailment exactly what he said to the poor woman. I'd like now for you to look at Luke chapter 8 and verse 48. This poor woman who is at the point of death, who also came in contact with him, Luke 8, 48, Thy faith has saved thee, he said, go in peace. The process was just the same in the one case as in the other. In in both cases, it was the life of the Lord that saved. The life, the same life that forgives iniquity also heals us of our disobedience. It brings health to us. And this is but the natural result of a specific cause, namely the recognition of the life of Christ and the coming more and more into harmony with it. God has sent Jesus, who is our peace, to proclaim peace to all men, to those who are far off as well as to those who are near. Receive this peace, which is but the justification by faith, and the Spirit of God will be shed abroad in your heart. He will shed the love of God abroad in your heart, which will reveal itself in tenderness toward the poor and toward the sinful. And it is this love which brightens the way of others and makes its possessor a sharer of the unsearchable riches of Christ and of the everlasting joy of the Lord. Let me just illustrate how that kind of forgiveness Legal forgiveness actually works in reconciling people to one another. In Ernest Gordon's miracle on the River Kwai, there were some Scottish soldiers, and they were forced by their captors to labor on a jungle railroad. And this group had really degenerated into some bad behavior. But one afternoon, something happened. A shovel was missing from the inventory of the day. They'd been out working, and they were going through a checkpoint, and the officer was counting the number of shovels, and one was missing. And so this just enraged the checkpoint officer, and he demanded that the missing shovel be reproduced, or else everybody would be punished. And when nobody in the squadron budged, The officer got out his gun, and he threatened to kill them all, right on the spot. And it was obvious that the officer meant exactly what he said. And then finally, one man, one man stepped forward. And the officer put away his gun, and he picked up a shovel, and he beat the man to death. And when it was over with, the survivors picked up the bloody corpse, and they carried it with them to the second tool check. There was a second checkpoint where they counted the inventory of the shovels, and this time all the shovels were accounted for. 
Not one was missing because there had been a miscount on the first checkpoint. And the word spread like wildfire throughout the whole camp that an innocent man had been willing to die to save all of the others. And the incident had a profound effect. The men began to treat each other like brothers. And when the victorious allies swept in and the survivors who were human skeletons lined up in front of their captors, instead of attacking and taking out their vengeance upon their captors, they insisted no more hatred, no more killing. Now what we need is forgiveness. Sacrificial love has transforming power. That's the atonement that Jesus demonstrates in his sacrificial love as the Son of God saying, I will die their death, eternal death. He committed himself to it for the joy of knowing that you would never have to face eternal death. And that should move a sin-hardened heart, shouldn't it? And reconcile it to God. If you can see that and appreciate it, then you have faith created by that love. And you can thank him for it. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for this great unspeakable gift of your agape love. We thank you for the atonement which reconciles our alienated hearts to you. We thank you for helping us to appreciate your forgiveness, the gift that has been placed in our very hands. It is for us to choose to not hinder it or to hinder it. And to make no choice is to hinder it. But if we choose to see its love and to believe it, it will, faith will work by love. And there's no end of the obedience that God's power will produce in the heart of faith that appreciates his love. Thank you for it. We desire that our self may be crucified with Jesus. As it were, we're kneeling before the foot of the cross. We're gazing at his dear face. We're seeing what he has done for us. We are repenting for our sinful self, for our weakness, for our fogginess of mind, for our unappreciative spirit. Lord, we repent of who we are. And we know only you can change us by that creative power of love. In Jesus' name, amen. Join us again next time for the Word of God which will feed the soul. I am committed to bring you the fullness of the gospel as Jesus has revealed it to us in order to prepare a people for his soon coming.